Well, this morning we continue our study of the church, and we'll be looking at what the Bible says about church membership. Now, some people might wonder what the point of membership is. Like, why be a member? If we come to church and we hear the word and we're sitting here, what's the point of membership? Right? We can know each other, can be friends with each other. Why join a church? Well, I want to make a case today, and you can see if you agree with it or not. But membership is about love. Love is a reason to join a church. And we can think about this, I think, from four angles. Uh, First, the love of Christ for you. Joining a church can be scary. It's a level of commitment that might feel daunting. You know, we might not trust those people enough to commit to them. I don't know all those people. Or might not trust them enough to be committed to me. What if I fail to live up to their expectations? What if I disappoint them or disappoint Jesus after becoming a member? What if they hurt me? But Christ's love is a reason, is the reason to join a church. The Lord Jesus looks upon you and he sees you. He knows everything about you and he always did and always will, every sin, every weakness, every failing, and he loves you. And he loves you. All who simply look to him, he's loved them from eternity, and he washes you in his blood that flows down on the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He clothes you in his perfect obedience. And he freely accepts you in the beloved. He calls you his child. You are son, daughter with access to me. He sees your real guilt and shame. He sees it better than you do, better than anyone can. And he calls you a righteous child of heaven. He seeks you in love with infinite grace And because he loves you, because he loves you, you can risk loving and being loved. Knowing Christ's love, isn't it worth risking loving people who might sin against you? So church membership is first about Christ's love for you. Second, church membership is about our love for Christ. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And in a few moments, I'll try to make the case that Christ's word commands you to join a local church. And so joining the church is a command we should obey if we love Jesus. We live in a society where people like to be free agents. Everyone likes to do what he wants by himself. We prefer to be in charge of our own lives, but all that independence, I don't know if you've noticed, is dissolving every bond of commitment, like acid, pulling everyone and everything apart. They say that people are more lonely now than ever. So if you can see the goodness of Christ who hung on a cross Won't you risk loving him? 
The Lord Jesus never gives a commandment to force you to do something that's bad for you. All of his commandments reflect his infinitely loving heart in heaven toward you to guide you in his love in the good way. And so he calls you to join a church because he loves you. And he wants what's good for you, even if you and I can't understand how. But we submit to him and trust and follow his way. A third reason we join a local church is because we love other church members. We love other Christians. Church membership is is about committing ourselves in love to one another. When we join a church, what we're saying is that this will be the main place where we seek to express Christian love for one another. Who do we first think about to serve and to forgive, to love, to honor? The biblical answer, and I mean like in every New Testament letter that's addressed to a church is in a local church. That's what the Bible teaches. And so we join a local church because we're formalizing our commitment to love one another. That's the third reason to love other Christians. A fourth reason to join a local church is because it's good for other church members to love us. When we join a church, the whole church promises to love us. Now, the whole church fails just like we fail. (laughs) So no one loves perfectly in a church relationship. And yet, what happens when you join is that an entire local church has publicly made an oath to love you and are accountable to doing it. And so church membership is about love. It is not about sentimentality. It's a strong love that is real and from the heart or should be. That's what we're working for is that it would be sincere from the heart, personal, relational, but there's a commitment attached to it as well. It's not just till we stop feeling love for each other. We're committed to keep loving each other. So what is church membership? I want to give you a short definition. Church membership is a covenant between each individual of the church and the whole church before Christ. And here's what the the covenant is, that each individual member and the whole church promises to trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ together and to love one another, being open to closer bonds of trust and friendship with one another and committed to building it. That's what church membership means. So in a church covenant, the whole church promises to trust and obey Christ and love you. And in a church, in church membership, each individual member promises the church as a whole to trust and obey Christ and to love other church members. So with that introduction, let's look at some of what the Bible teaches about this. And we can look, we're going to look at many different places, but please look with me at Acts 2 first. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 41. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. But before we look at this, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you for Christ, that his blood has bought us with a price, united us to himself, 
given us to each other. Lord, help us to be faithful to what you call us to do, that we might live as an outpost of your kingdom here in this world in local churches, doing what you've called us to do, edifying, building one another up, seeking to encourage one another, to bear each other's burdens, and to do the mission that you've called us to do, to worship you publicly, to strengthen and encourage the brethren, and to seek the nations, first here and then and then abroad, that souls would be converted and that more churches would be built. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please read with me beginning in Acts 2, verse 36. Now, the background here is this is Acts 2 is the first Lord's Day Sabbath. So it's an eighth day Sabbath. So it's a Sunday Sabbath and it's Pentecost. And here Peter has been preaching a sermon and he's preaching a sermon to the Jews here in Jerusalem. And in verse 36, here's what it says. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, Jesus, whom you crucified. That was a conviction. You murdered him. All of you here in Jerusalem, you standing here, you murdered him, which by the way, that's us too. Our sins murdered him. The slightest one put him there. And then verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So they were convicted by the law. They felt their guilt and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And that's the Spirit of God convicting them, showing them their need of rescue. And then verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what do you do? You repent. What is repentance? It's looking to Jesus, the one who's loved and who is lovely and who you love, trusting him above yourself in your own way and turning from your sin to Jesus. That's repentance. And be baptized. What is baptism? It's a visible sign of the gospel. Does the gospel save you? Yes, it does. The promise of the gospel. In that way, baptism saves. It preaches the gospel to you. And as you believe the promise of Christ, who alone can ever rescue anyone who died a bloody death on the cross, your faith is led to Jesus through baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 39, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So this promise of salvation for sinners isn't just for the Jews here, it's for them and their children, but also everyone who's far off, but more particularly for you, your children, everyone who's far off, that is among that group, only those who the Lord calls. The promise is for all of them who the Lord calls and who believe. And then verse 40, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, verse 41 is where we're going. This is important. This is where church membership comes in. So first, we have the preaching of of the law for the conviction of sin, then the preaching of the gospel for the salvation of souls. And now, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized. So notice an order. First, they receive the word. 
the, the word of the gospel of Jesus, and then they were baptized. What happened next? And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they were added to what? They were already saved because they received his word and were baptized. What were they added to? They were added to the church of Jerusalem. And you can look down in verse 47 and see the same thing. Praising God, this is Acts 2, 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's a very carefully worded verse. There's two groups. Those who are being saved and, and the number. So the Lord was adding to the, their number, who? Those who were being saved. The number of the church was growing. Notice it says there's a number. What does that tell you? There's an accounting. There's a definite number. They had a list. They knew who was in. They knew who was a part of the church. Just to show you this is more than just in Acts 2. It actually appears throughout the book of Acts. But if you'll look with me at Acts 16, verse 5, just flip to there. Acts chapter 16, verse 5. It says something very similar. Acts 16, verse 5 tells us, so the churches were strengthened in the faith. That means the doctrine of the gospel. They were being built up according to the truth of the gospel. That's the faith, we believe, the faith of Jesus. And they increased in numbers daily. What increased in numbers? The churches. So there's a number of those who are part of the church. But now let's consider some other passages that show something similar, and that is this, that the Bible speaks of local churches as well-defined local assemblies of known professing believers. Well-defined, numbered, professing believers in local assemblies. It speaks of the whole church gathering, which, which is what, what we're supposed to do. The church is supposed to gather as a whole, one assembly. That's what the word church actually even means, ecclesia, to call out from the community to the central meeting place. Ecclesia is a gathering, the church, the assembly, a metaphor for effectual calling out of sin and to Jesus. And Acts 6.5 says this, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. So the words whole gathering. It's the idea there's a picture of the whole church. There's a concept of the entire body of assembled believers. It's not just a preaching station where people come and go as they please. You have the central, you know, performance that occurs on stage. And anyone who wants streams in and they come for a while. Then they stream out and they might go to another, you know, uh, another presentation in another place that's not what the church is it's a it's a gathering a, a, an assembly that is well defined acts 15 verse 22 says then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to antioch with paul and barnabas it's acts 15 22 
And so what, what happened here? Well, the apostles and elders with the whole church of Jerusalem decided and appointed men to send. They voted. It wasn't just the apostles who sent it. They, the whole church. And that means there were those who were in and there were those who were out. Which, that's clear from 1 Corinthians 14. If you'll look there with me. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. Where we can see that there are those who are in the church and those who are not. Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 23. This says, if therefore the whole church comes together. So who's come together? The whole church and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter will they not say that you are out of their minds out of your minds so but notice the categories here you have the whole church but two different kinds of people can enter the assembly what kinds unbelievers which shows an unbeliever can come and visit or be here among us we have children who don't believe yet it's totally biblical and yet they're not counted as part of the whole church unbelievers are not part of the whole church Also, outsiders, that seems to imply a different category than a believer. It's someone from another church. A a visiting Christian could come and be a part of the church. And so the whole church comes together, and then there are outsiders and unbelievers who could join with it. And so the local church is a well-defined particular assembly, a known body of professing believers, In Colossians 4.12, you can see this even further. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. So we're just building the idea right now that a church is is a gathering of known believers, that there's a number of them. And this verse, Colossians 4.12, shows individual membership. There are other verses like this, but this is one of them. It says, Epaphras, Paul is speaking to the church of Colossae. He's written this letter to Colossae. And he says to them, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. So what does that mean? Epaphras, who's visiting Paul. Paul doesn't say, Epaphras, who is one of us, a Christian, greets you. He doesn't say that. (laughs) He doesn't say, Epaphras, who is united to Christ, Part of the universal church, he doesn't say that. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, Colossians, he's yours. He greets you. So individual membership. There are many other texts like that. So there's a gathered, well-known, defined assembly with a number and names attached to those who are part of the assembly. Every name is known. You're either one of the church or you're not, and they know who's one of the church and who isn't. But this might raise a question, why is this so important? Why is it important for there to be membership? Okay, Brother Tom, I see it here. I see that that's what the Bible teaches. But what's the significance of it? Well, I would suggest there are three main reasons for church membership. First, membership is the way we practice what the Bible teaches about love for other Christians. It's the central way. 
that what the Bible teaches about loving other Christians and being open to friendships and committed to building them within the church finds its expression within the covenanted body. Now, we, we certainly can be friends with Christians beyond this, this local assembly. We have our homes in which we love and build into those who are part of our homes. And so we're not saying the church is exclusive in that sense, but what we are saying, what the Bible teaches, is that the church is the place, biblically, where we are called to fulfill the commands to love each other and to experience and express Christian care and ministry to one another. Please turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews 10, where one place we can see this. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Hebrews 10, verse 19. This is probably Paul writing to a church, perhaps in Jerusalem, it seems. And he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's the church, the house of God, the true temple is Christ and then his people, his body. Verse 22, let us, notice the plural, let us draw near. So this isn't just each individual drawing near in their prayer closet. This is together collectively as God's people in the church, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That is renewed, new creations in Jesus. We're to together draw near. This is not a private affair, Christianity, coming to Jesus. It is individual. You have to come as individuals, but we draw near together as his people. Then verse 23, let us, again, it's the plural, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. It means let us together hold to Jesus with one another. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, and here's what we're driving at, in light of all that gospel, in light of all the promises of Christ, the graces of Jesus, the washing of our consciences, the purification of our sins through all that Jesus has done, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Again, plural. In the church, this church that was being written to, let us think about something. In light of all that Jesus has done for us to save us from our sins, let's think about how to stir up one another to love and good works. And how do you do that? Not by criticizing each other, but by loving each other, telling each other the truth in love, holding out the hope that we each have in the gospel to each other, sharing our own selves with one another. This is how we stir up one another to love and good works. And then verse 25 says, that's why we're not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So why do we gather as an assembly, as God's people, 
as a church well to encourage one another and to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, if you will turn with me to Romans 12 and verse 9, which tells us more of this love that we're to have for one another in the church. Romans 12, verse 9. says, let love be genuine. What does that mean? It means it's not to be hypocritical or insincere. Your translation may say, let love be sincere, which means it's from the heart. You genuinely desire the good of another. And so treat them that way. You love them from the heart. It's not with pretense. It's not to manipulate. It's not for any other reason. It's not for selfish gain. It's because you genuinely care about that other person. We're to develop this kind of love in the church. Where's Romans written to? The, the church of Rome. Paul is writing the Roman church. It's a particular assembly who's getting this. Let love among you be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. So within the church, we're to love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor. Affection is a sincere and from the heart care for one another, a sincere desire for the good of others. Honor, outdoing one another and showing honor is recognizing the true good that's in other people and outdoing each other, not in claiming a position of rightness or superiority or one-upping, but recognizing the honor in others and that should be what we compete in and then verse 11 do not be slothful in zeal be fervent in spirit serve the lord rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation together you know in a church we go through tribulation trial difficulty suffering we're to be patient together and constant in prayer for and with one another. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints. We have to give unto the Lord and contribute to the needs of those who are needy among us and seek to show hospitality. Together, bless those who persecute you. That's a plural you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, some, some might think that, that Christian love is merely an action or just something that we do because God tells us. But look what it says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never. It's a strong word. Never, not one time, never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, which implies sometimes people do evil to each other in the church. Doesn't it? But never repay evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all in the church. 
So we seek to be peacemakers and live peaceably. One way to put this whole teaching of the Bible is that the church, church membership is a covenant of friendship. That's why we join churches. We're committed to being friends with one another. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 25 and 26 says, God made the church so members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We should be open to the closest relationships with each other, which, which means taking risks to trust each other and trying to build each other up and to love each other. Brother Fred mentioned Joel Beakey just a moment ago. Well, Michael Haken, who, was, who I learned from at Southern Seminary, and Joel Beakey went together and they co-authored a book uh, titled Friendship, Biblical Friendship. And I've asked Miss Sherry if she'd get us a little stack of them to have out here for those who would like to get your hands on one. But here's, here's what it, it says. Friends need to take time to talk together. Which means we have to come to church, of course, but we should be interested not just in coming to come and then go, but to talk to each other. They need to listen together. Listen to each other. This is one of the most important disciplines of friendship is to pay attention to the other person when they talk. What they have to say matters. It's important what they say. To listen to them, to serve together, enjoy life together. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, really, this life is a world of suffering, then you die. But God is in heaven. Fear God, keep his commandments, and enjoy the little moments. That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Why not do it together? Enjoy the little things together. Trust together. Think together. Pray together. Repent together. Hope together. And Christian friends are committed to considering the Lord Jesus and his word and his love together. You know what friends are? They contemplate together. They think together. They talk together about what's good, the good life. What's the good life? Jesus. And we labor to build into each other in that way. That's what friendship is, and that's actually what the church is supposed to be, a community of friends. So church membership is important. There are many other passages that we could look at in this regard, but that's the first reason for church membership, which is to love each other, to have a community that we're committed to love and that is committed to loving us. But a second reason for church membership has to do with church discipline. Now, this is often misunderstood, but if you think about it, doesn't every group have some, form, some boundary? Every group. If you join a group, now the church is, I don't mean to make them all the same, church is different, right? But there's a standard of a group where it can't be a group. And for the church, it's, it's simple. Allegiance to Jesus. That's what unifies us. And so the one thing we're not allowed to do in the church is to breach our allegiance to Christ and say, I hear what he says, I know what the word says, and I'm not doing it. 
I'm just not. I'm doubling down in rebellion. We're not allowed to do that. That, that breaks what binds us together. So this is what church discipline is about. We're united together, not in family bonds. Those, those are great. Not in community bonds or friendships per se, but we're united in Jesus, who is our Savior and our King. And what we must not do is turn our faces away from him. That's the whole book of Hebrews. You cannot turn from him. That brings discipline. And what is discipline? Well, there's front door discipline, formative discipline, and corrective discipline. So front door discipline means who should join a church? Well, those who pledge their allegiance to Christ, who trust him, who are believing that he is their savior. They should join. They're allowed to join, only those. Second, there's formative discipline. That's the ministry of the church through worship, through mutual edification, prayers, building up one another. Uh, the, The word, the sacrament, encouragements, all of that together builds up the church. It forms us in Christ. Third is corrective discipline. And this is the gentle, loving, patient correction of persistent, unrepentant sin in a church. Now, it's important to understand discipline is not punishment. We have no place to punish anyone. I deserve death and hell. We all, every one of us does. And so what's the point of discipline? It is a last-ditch effort to reclaim a soul that is careening over the edge whom we love and want to reclaim. That's what discipline is. We call them to repent, and if they don't repent, they must be removed from the church. Discipline is for the glory of Christ and the gospel. It says Christ alone is king. Discipline is for the good of the church as well. It's very bad when a church says, you know, we can have members who love things most other than Jesus. We can't have that. That violates who we are, our very identity. We can have people who are, who are worshiping another God. We can't have that. Now, you can have a lot of sin in a church. Don't misunderstand. We can just read the New Testament, right? I mean, read it. They were a mess. And we're a mess. I'm a mess. You know? So we're not talking about anything like perfection or super holiness here. What we're talking about is, are you with Jesus? Is he your Lord and King? And are you committed to loving him because he loved you first and doing what he says and fighting to grow? That's the only question. Now, just as a, to let you know, in case you don't know, At our church, discipline begins with a church member filing charges. That's very important that the elders don't have a a spy service. We don't go around looking for sin. We're, We're definitely not doing that. The way discipline emerges is someone files charges with the eldership, and then the elders function as um, arbiters of the process that then comes to the whole church. And the church administers discipline, ultimately. You can see an example of church discipline if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9 to 13. And here's the point that has to do with membership. 
1 Corinthians 5, just skip to verse 12 with me, if you will, where it says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? This doesn't mean condemning. This means making determinations. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now, the reason I want to draw your attention to that verse is notice there's outsiders and those inside. It's a clear contrast. Where do we do discipline? Not, not for any of these churches in this community or someone else. It has to be those who have agreed to be a part of our church. That's where the discipline takes place, and we're submitting to that voluntarily. Everyone, including me, as a pastor, is subject to the discipline of the church. I have a pastor as well, and we voluntarily submit to it. And so the point here, the second point, why have membership is this. You can't have discipline. You can't do what the Bible says unless there's a group of people who've agreed to do it, agreed to do it. You see? And so uh, membership is necessary for discipline. Third reason, just very briefly, if you'll turn with me to Hebrews 13, 17. This is a, uh, an awkward verse for a pastor to read. But I want you to know that in my reading it, I actually am thinking of Brother Mitch here. So I'm... But it says, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now here's the reason I bring that up, is who is my pastor? Just anyone who claims to be my pastor? Is a pastor of that church over there my pastor? Or, you know... Does someone just have the right to say they're my pastor? If I start going to a church for a while, do they get to then decide they're my pastor and they can start pastoring my soul just because I've started attending? That seems very authoritarian and presumptuous. No, I have to agree to let someone be my pastor. And if I don't do that, how can I even obey verse 17? How can I, do I have a leader? There's no one for me to submit to. I have, to have, I have to obey this verse as a Christian. And what that means is that within a church, there's, there are pastors who are examined, called and set apart by the church to actually be the shepherds and held accountable. And that church is the church they shepherd, not all churches, that church. And there's a unique relationship there. But do you see how that requires an agreement, which is a covenant? And so these well-defined local assemblies are necessary for the life of the church, the communion, the community of the church, and for the leadership of the church. So now that we've examined church membership from the Bible, I just wanted to give you a few practical matters here to consider. It's important to emphasize this, that church membership is not merely sentimental. It is very practical and also organic. It's a way of practically following Christ's loving command to join ourselves to the visible expression of his body. So may I, may I ask you a question? If you are attending our church, but you have not joined, won't you consider or reconsider joining? 
You may have organic friendships, I hope you do, that have developed just from attending the church. But would you formally commit yourself to love those you already love? Why wouldn't you make a promise to love them as brothers and sisters in Christ when things get hard? That's the point of a church covenant, to commit yourself to walk in love. Another thing to put before you is that if you need to move somewhere else because of family or job relocation, may I I encourage you to take responsibility for your own church membership. This is important. Historically, many churches... Uh, encourage members to join new churches if they, if they leave their current church within a year. We don't want to hurry that process. You need to find a good church. We don't want you to make a decision quickly. But if you leave our church, would you please consider joining a new one within about a year? What should you look for in joining a new church? I would submit there's three main things. First, you're looking for pastors who preach Christ crucified and risen, true God and true man who preach the whole counsel of God and who love the church. That's what you're looking for, number one. Number two, that the church as a whole is sincerely committed to Jesus and his word and to loving one another in Christ. And number three, is the church well-ordered, meaning do they faithfully observe baptism, the Lord's Supper, do they practice membership and discipline? If they do these things, that's a church you should consider joining. Also, as a church, just to make sure you understand, we are responsible for removing non-attending members. Why would that be? Because membership isn't just a formality. It includes an oath, a commitment publicly, but also an organic relationship that has to also be there. And so if someone's not attending, there's no way they can be a a member. There's something wrong there. Now, this is not comfortable, but we have to pay attention to our church roles. The pastors are actually required by our Constitution, which I believe goes back as far as Bill Askell in the 80s, to make sure that we pay attention to members who are not attending, follow up on them, You know, there are those who are chronically ill or shut in, and that's a different case. But those who aren't chronically ill or shut in, if they're away from us, we have to find out what's going on with them and be patient with them and pursue them. But if they don't return or find a new church, then the Bible requires us to remove them from our church role as a matter of discipline. Now, that's not us, the pastors. We would propose that to you. It's actually the church's responsibility to do it. Why is that? It's because the church membership is not just a formality. We have to come. Be like being married but never being together. What is that? It's like we're married but we never see each other ever. You know? That's impossible. So what we've seen is that in Christ's great love, he teaches us that we should join ourselves to particular local churches that being a member of a particular local church means covenanting with them. But church membership, we've seen, is far more than a formal covenant. It involves a commitment to knowing Christ, to real relationships and openness to friendships and commitment to friendships with other believers in the church. 
I want to close by reading you a quotation from John Owen, one of the great English theologians from the 1600s. He said this, It is the duty of everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ and takes due care of his own eternal salvation voluntarily and by his own choice to join himself to some particular congregation of Christ's institution. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we thank you for for Christ, for his bloody death, his resurrection, the seal of the Spirit upon us, the hope of eternity. We thank you for your word, that it speaks truth with such clarity. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your church. This is your church, not ours. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful to the calling to which you've called us and to grow more and more into the church you've called us to be. Thank you for this church, Lord. I thank you for this church as one of their pastors. What a blessing it is to be a shepherd here. And Lord, I pray you'd help us all to grow in love for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.